Yeah, let's uh, let's thank everybody, all the kids, all the kids on crew. Let's thank, let's just thank God for them. Uh, kids on, you guys do such a great job for the next generation, including Dom and Ashley, that we just heard their story. Uh, and and we're so thankful that you're here as well, uh, here in big church, uh, an adult church, uh, whether you're at Legacy or Woodbridge or Sloan Creek or Richardson in Espanol or online right now in your living room or wherever you are podcasting later, that too. Um, there's a couple of things going on right now that are really big before we dive in today. Uh, one is the worship gathering tonight. Don't miss that. That's all campuses together. There's something that unique that happens. The Bible says God inhabits the praise of his people. We experience his presence in a unique way when we gather for extended worship like that. So that's going to be great tonight. And then next week we start our series Home Team, which is about making our best relationships better. And so I'm looking forward to that. But today we conclude our little mini series, uh, Don't Go It Alone. Last week we talked about groups and how God designed us to live connected, not isolated, and how we can find the kind of connection we're created for. Today, we're talking about team and the, the fact that God uh, has recruited you, wants you to be on a team and in what he's doing in, the, in his work in the world. And it's, it's way bigger uh, opportunity than you probably think. And probably a lot of us grew up when we were little kids dreaming, especially if you were into sports, like dreaming of yourself in the big game. Did you ever do that? You know, you're playing basketball with your friends and it's like the last second and you're LeBron, you know, and you're going to shoot the three pointer or or you're playing football and you're Tom Brady or Troy Aikman or whatever era uh, you were in. And you're doing the Hail Mary pass for the, you know, to, for the winning touchdown. Um, it's kind of fun. My dad um, passed. Well, this isn't fun. My dad passed away a couple years ago. But what was fun is uh, recently my mom was looking through pictures and found some uh, high school football pictures uh, of his, and uh, and he got to live out one of those dream moments. It was uh, he grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, my mom and I, my mom and my dad, uh, were high school sweethearts. Uh, they started dating when they were 16. In fact, it's kind of fun uh, because we have other picture where uh, in their high school, the captain of the football team always crowned the. Um, homecoming queen on homecoming game at the 50 yard line. And my dad uh, was the captain of the football team. My mom was the homecoming queen. And there's this great picture. So that's cool. But then we found these, she found these other pictures of another game. It was the clinic bowl in Nashville in 1954. My granddad, I mean, my dad, I mean, I'm all messed up. My dad was uh, on that team and this was like championship game. Two best teams in Nashville are pitted against each other at Vanderbilt stadium. And, uh, and they were behind uh, 20 to 14. And in the last moments of the game, that's my dad catching the winning uh, touchdown uh, to make it 21-20 and win the championship. And, uh, and what a moment, right? Just to think, wow, that's the moment you kind of live for if you're into sports. And, and, you know, little kids, as little kids, we dream of that kind of stuff and we can picture ourselves there or even just take sports out of it. If you ask a little kid, I'm talking little bitty kid, if you ask a little bitty kid, hey, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? You notice they never say anything lame, like pastor. But, you know, they don't do that there. It's always things like Spider-Man, you know, right. I'm going to be Spider-Man or whatever they're going to be. And it's easy to look at that little kid and be like, oh, you little delusional creature. You know, that's, you know, that's dumb. That's not going to happen. And but but what I want us to understand, what we'll see today, the truth about you and me is I don't think they're the ones that are delusional. 
because, uh, okay, it may, the specifics may be a little bit off, but what that little child is doing is tapping into something that is very true about them and very true about you. And that is that you and I are here uh, with a sense of destiny, that, that God thought about you. He created you and me with a unique destiny, with a unique contribution. And all the little kid is doing is just tapping into that potential that is built into them. Here's what the way Paul talked about it in the book of Ephesians. He said, for we are God's handiwork. The New Living Translation says masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Meaning before you were created, before you were born, God thought about you. That's the truth about you. And he crafted you uniquely with a unique contribution. And and really, it's better than being Michael Jordan or being LeBron or being whoever, because God has created your child. He's created you to be you and as you to have a unique contribution on this planet that is probably way bigger than we that, that we can really even think about. Because what happens in life is we start out thinking big, but then we we kind of that gets knocked out of us a lot with self-doubt, with, you know, people poking at us or whatever. And, and, and those big dreams and that big way of thinking just gets kind of flattened. And today we're going to hear from a guy that was a Jesus follower, one of Jesus's 12 disciples who became a, a really key leader in the early church, kind of God's team on this planet. It's this thing he calls church, what he's using in, in the world to do his work. His name was Peter. And Peter was a disciple that uh, when you see his story in the in the books about Jesus's life, this is a guy who was a great guy, he made a lot of mistakes. He was not a perfect guy, really flawed guy like us. He was a very ordinary guy that God used in extraordinary ways. And he wrote a book. He wrote two books in the Bible, first and second Peter. And we're going to be in first Peter today where he talks to the church 2000 years ago. God put it in the Bible. So it's God's word for us today too, 2000 years later. And what Peter's going to say is, hey, let me tell you the truth about you. Because the truth about you is that God thought about you and there's opportunity that he has this team and it has a lot more to do with you than you think. You can say yes or no, but man, I want you to live into it. I want you to find it. So if you're a Bible turner, you can turn to First Peter in your Bible app or your Bible. We're going to be mostly in First Peter 4. We're going to start, though, in chapter 1 as we look at the truth about you. And here's the first truth about you is that you are chosen to be on the team. Okay. You're chosen. Now we're going to look at the passage in the Bible in first Peter. We're going to talk about Jesus and Bible and all that. But before we do that, there's something really important to talk about. And that is college football. So can we do that just a second? Right? So a lot of us are really excited if you're a college football fan, because it all starts next week. I think the first game may be, um, at least first game I'm aware of is Miami versus Florida, which is kind of a cool first game. And, uh, and then the week after that, most teams will really get geared up and going. And I don't know what team is your team. You know, I'm an Alabama fan. You know that. Um, but hopefully, you know, you've got a college team that you pull for. In fact, so I would say roll tide. You say whatever it is you say for your team right now. Just shout it out. All right. Let's a little more energy than that. Let's do it. Come on now. Let's do it. All right. All right. I'm hearing you now. So whatever team you're on, okay, you can. Think about that. So we're starting up. We're all excited. But it's if you're a big football fan, it's not like we've been ignoring our team this whole offseason because the offseason is really important, not just for practices and stuff, but for recruiting. 
And, uh, and so I'll just give you a little recruiting update for Alabama for the next, uh, next team. We have uh, next year. Right now we have 22 commits, only one five-star. Nick's got to get going. Uh, 19-4, right? So I'm, I'm always looking at recruiting reports and seeing who's visiting where and what they're doing. And if they're at your team, I'm like, oh, I hope they don't like it. And then, you know, they get – because a team is only as good as its recruits, right? I mean, you and, – and college coaches know that. That's a – Huge part of their job is always reloading your team with the best players that you can get. And so that's a big part of the game. But now I want you to think about it, not from the perspective of the coach, but from the perspective of those players that get those recruiting offers. Because that's got to be a cool moment. Some of you have experienced that. You've played for those kind of teams. And can you imagine, right, for that high school kid who's been playing football, you know, their whole life, and they've dreamed of playing for Oklahoma or playing for Texas or playing for A&M or Texas Tech or Baylor or, you know, you get it, right? Whatever it is you're into. Or, and, and then you get that letter. You get that offer. And that's a big deal. And that's why... Um, I have this uh, jersey. This is an Alabama jersey because, you know, it's my deal. That's my jam. Uh, you can picture it burnt orange or whatever color you want to picture it. Uh, desecrate it that way. That's fine. Uh, whatever color. No, really. What, you can just imagine. It. But this isn't just any jerseys. Uh, this belongs to Keaton Anderson. And uh, Keaton uh, finished his uh, football and college career last season. So he played four years uh, for Alabama as a safety um, Keaton is uh, made it a lot more fun even for us to watch uh, Alabama football because we know Keaton. He's a wonderful young guy. Um, but not only that, he's related, but it's you got to follow me. So he's my you follow me. He's my brother's wife's sister's son. OK, so my brother and his wife, nephew. And uh, and again, just a, a great guy. And he played. So it's so fun to watch him and all that. But how cool, right? In fact, I'm going to put on the jersey. Um, and again, you can picture whatever jersey you want to picture if it makes you feel better. And because my point, because some of you are like, is he going to talk about the Bible? Like, this is church, right? Like, we're going to, and yeah, we are. We're about to do that. But I just, the whole point of this is there is a jersey with your name on it. That, that God in, in this recruiting, like, he, he's chosen you. You have a place on the team. And in First Peter, here's the way Peter talks about it. 1 Peter 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So he starts out his book talking to the whole church, and he's saying, you've been chosen by God. You're God's elect. God has chosen you to be on the team. Now that verse is, uh, there's a number of verses that talk about how God chooses us, and chooses those who have a relationship with him. And that creates sort of this theological question, this theological controversy uh, that's been there for centuries. Because you have passages like this in the Bible that emphasize how God chooses those who come to believe and are saved. And that word saved, if you're not a, you know, familiar with that, is to be saved from the forever punishment of sin, to begin a relationship with God. And the question is, because there's other passages that seem to suggest that, no, we choose. Like the Bible says, whosoever will may come, and, and we're held accountable for that choice. So the question is, well, which is it? Does God choose us, or do we choose God? And, which, and so there's two schools of thought on that, and actually divides Christianity into denominations. So you have this first group uh, called Calvinists, named after John Calvin, groups like the Presbyterian churches, Reformed churches, that, that emphasize the passages about God's choosing. 
and how God, how we're chosen by God. And it's about his sovereignty. And that's how, why people begin a relationship with God is because God chooses them. And then the other group are called Arminians after a guy named Arminius. And Arminians are groups like uh, Methodists, uh, traditionally Baptists, uh, Nazarenes, so on, who emphasize the passages in the Bible that talk about how we choose God and are held accountable for that choice. In fact, in First Peter, uh, there are passages of like the one we looked at that emphasize God's choosing. But I could also go to a, a chapter in First Peter, in a verse in First Peter that emphasize our choice. So sometimes with this theological question, people who are new to Chase Oaks especially will say, well, Jeff, what are you? Are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? And you know what I say? I say I'm a Calminian, a solidly Calminian, uh, because the Bible teaches both. And, and that's why it's not that one group's a dummy and the other group's smart and vice versa. They're both seeing something that's in the Bible and they may not rest comfortably comfortably together in our minds, but they do rest comfortably together in the Bible. And it probably shouldn't be too much of a shocker to know that maybe God is bigger than we can understand. And these two things that seem contradictory, you think, wait a minute, you got to choose, you know, it's, it's one or the other, that maybe God is bigger than we are and the way he works is bigger than we are. And that somehow his choosing his sovereignty takes into account uh, the free will and decisions of human beings in a way that's above our pay grade. And we just trust that he's bigger than we are. Right. So so we're bottom line, you know, just uh, both are there. But all this to say. My point is you are chosen. There's a jersey with your name on it. Just like when my kids, my youngest kid played select hockey and we'd try out for teams. And you're always looking, is my name there? Did I make this round of tryouts? You know, is my name there? Well, your name is there. God's chosen. So John Calvin would say, you're chosen. Arminius would say, yeah, but you can blow it off. But you're chosen. And uh, and which is pretty cool, right? And some of you are thinking right now, some of you are really confident people. And so when you hear God's chosen you to be on the team, you're kind of like, well, of course he did. <laughs> I mean, he's smart. Why wouldn't he? Like, I've got a lot to offer, you know. But uh, most of you probably aren't quite that, there. And some of you may be at a place think, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, know, I can see God choosing other people. But, Jeff, if you knew what I did last weekend, you'd be like, yeah, I think I'm off the list. Like, I, I'm not on the team anymore. I broke team rules. Or, uh, man, I, I don't, I'm just not that gifted. I, I, don't, I, there's, I know a lot of people are really gifted, but not me. But I want us to understand something because God uh, does. And as he, Paul talked to the Corinthians, that team, and here's what he said. God chooses differently than a football coach that looks for the cream of the crop. Here's how God chooses. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you, not none of you, but few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. He's like, hey, look, not many of you are big shots. Some of you were, most of you not. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. He's saying God's not choosing you because you're so great. God's choosing you, right? Because he loves to choose ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's like his thing. That's what he loves to do. And, and so for somebody like me, I'm like, well, thank him. Because <laughs> that means I get to be on the championship team. I get to be on a team like this. You're chosen. That's good news, but it gets better because you're not only chosen. We're also going to see that you are gifted. 
You're chosen, you're gifted. Now, a college coach who's recruiting is looking, going around high school games and looking at game films and trying to see who's talented. God does differently because God created you with talents. He thought about you before you were born, as we saw, and he gave you certain gifts and abilities to make your contribution on the team. So now we go to our core passage in 1 Peter 4, 10. Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So notice Peter talking to the whole church like he'd be talking to all of us. And here's what he says, right? Some of you are gifted. Most of you, not so much. That's not what he says, right? Because each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have. Meaning every one of you, each of you, nobody gets left out. It's not like, you know, God was handing out gifts, you know, before people came down to the earth and he's handing out gifts and you, you like went to the bathroom and you came out and you're like, what did I miss? You're like, oh man, they handed out gifts. Oh, pooey, you know, no, you've, you, you've been given gifts and abilities and God crafted you with these. And, and we're going to look at some of those to begin to say, yeah, I wonder what my gifts are. Now, Peter just mentions a couple of options, a couple of uh, just samples. He's going to talk. We'll see it in the next verse, speaking and serving. The Apostle Paul talks a lot more about gifts and gives a lot more examples uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. And here's some of those gifts. OK, these are some of the samples. These are the ones the Bible talks about. I don't think this is a comprehensive list because all the lists are different. But these are just some samples of the kinds of ways that God gifts people. So as I read through them, think about yourself. Think about your friends. If you're married, think about your spouse. If you have kids, think about your kids. Think, man, I wonder, you know, does this sound like me or does this sound like so and so? So some people are given the gift of wisdom, like just wise advice. So you, you seek them out because of their wisdom of uh, faith. People who just believe big things uh, easier than most of us do. Uh, discernment, administration, organized people, healing, serving, teaching, evangelism, encouragement, leading, uh, mercy, which is like compassionate care, uh, shepherding or pastoring, hospitality, giving, prayer. Do you recognize people that you think, yeah, man, that person is so good at that or that? Or maybe you recognize yourself. Let me let me take this into a scenario just so just to keep playing with this, how it plays out. And again, see if you recognize yourself or other people. So here's the scenario. The scenario is uh, you're in the hospital. Sorry about that. And you just had gallbladder surgery. Why I chose that? I don't know. But anyway, you got gallbladder. You just got your gallbladder out. So you're. You're there, you know, the surgery's done, you're in the hospital, laying there in recovery, and all these chase ochres with different giftings start coming into your room. And you've got your gown, you're like, oh man, is this gown okay, you know, and all that, and you pull up the sheet, whatever, so these people start coming in. And so maybe the first group, the first person that comes in is somebody with the gift of mercy, compassion. And they're great when you're in the hospital or something, because those of you who are like this, you just empathize with people right away. I mean, you just feel what people are feeling and can be in that moment and kind of enter in and you weep with those who weep and you cry with those who cry and you help you know people move forward uh, emotionally and you bring care and you'll stop everything in your life to, you know, you're that, those kind of people. So those are always great. And then maybe next, a, a, a chase oaker with administration gifts, a very organized person comes in. And so when they come in your room, they may ask you how you're doing and they care, but not a lot. I mean, they do care, but they're like, 
they're, they're looking at your room and they're organ. just as they're talking to you, they're, they're organizing it, kind of getting everything together. And you've got these flowers and stuff and they, they brought in thank you notes for you. And they're looking at the names of people that sent you flowers and go ahead. They're addressing it and putting a little stamp on it for you. And they had, they hand you a list that gives all the, all the people who are going to be giving you meal, meal, uh, meals, you know, bring in for your family over the next week as you recover. I mean, those kind of people. And so they're doing their thing. And then maybe a, a hospitality person comes in. Now, hospitality people, it's not just having people over at your house. That's, they do that. But hospitality people, uh, my wife is like this. They're includers. They just include everybody. And think about who's not included. They include them in, invite them in. So if a hospitality person comes into your hotel room, they're never alone. Because they met somebody in the elevator that really they think should get to know you. Or, uh, met, met, you know, they're wheeling the person in ne- from the next room who doesn't know what's going on. They're like, I think y'all should get together. And the person's like, ah, what do we do? Right. And so that's a hospitality person or um, or I don't know. You could just keep going with this. Right. Um, I think that probably gives us enough to but different ones of us will respond differently to scenarios because we're gifted uniquely. We have unique gifts to bring to the table. That's good news, but these gifts that God gives us come with a string attached. And that string attached is they're given with a purpose. Peter, again, said, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Why did he give us gifts? Well, he tells us each of you should do what with them? Use them to serve others. I mean, the gifts that you and I have, the strengths that you and I have, God has given us not for us, for others. That God has given you and me abilities and strengths so that we can use them and what God is doing on his team in the world through the church to encourage and bless and progress the mission of God and serve other people. That's why we've been given the gifts, which is why Paul says faithful stewards. That's what it means to be a faithful steward is when we use them, when we employ them. Now, a steward, what is that? Well, a steward is a person who doesn't own something. They manage something that somebody else owns. On their behalf. That's what a steward is. It's like a financial planner. If you put your, let's say you meet with a financial planner and you give them a check with all your retirement savings and you give it to them. And if that, if that person says, if that financial planner, they get that check and they say, oh, this is great. I've always wanted to take my wife to Hawaii or my husband to Hawaii. And I can't wait. This is going to be, no, 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 no. That's not, this isn't a gift, right? This is mine. I want you to make it bigger. Like, I want this back just bigger. Like, I I want you to do something with this, right? That's what a steward is. And the Bible says that actually we're like God's money managers, that even our money is not ours, it's God's. Uh, Our time is the same way from biblical perspective. Whatever influence or power God gives us is not for us, but for others, as well as our gifts and abilities. They're not just there for us. They're there for others and, and therefore opportunity. And one day, the Bible teaches, we'll give a whole week in a future series this fall to this. One day, you and I, who are Jesus followers, will stand before God in this judgment called the Bema Seat Judgment, where uh, we will be held accountable for what we've done with what God's given us, the opportunities, the influence, the gifts and abilities, the resources that God's given us. And our reward for all eternity will be based on how faithful we are here with that. And, and I promise you, we'll be grateful for everything that we use for eternal purposes at that moment, right? But that's, that's why they're given, is to use them. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I don't even know what my gifts are. Like, I, I don't, and I get that. But that's not a great excuse. I mean, you need to find out. 
Because it's our responsibility to deploy and discover uh, our strengths and gifting. And the best way to do that is to just start serving. Uh, like, like Dominic and Ashley, Dom and Ashley did in the video uh, that was there before me who served in Kid Zone. I, I know them as a couple. They're a great couple. And you can see their gifting as they start serving in Kid Zone, right? You see his leadership and you see how she comes around people in such a cool way. And you just see their gifting uh, lived out. Why? Because they started serving. And, and that's the best way to do it. Another way to do that is if you're in relationship with each other, like a friendship circle or a life group or some other established group or small group, just talk about this. Just name each other's gifting because it, other people's gifting we can see a lot easier than we can see ourselves. Like ourselves, we take our own gifting for granted because it's, it's easy for us. We just think, well, everybody can do that. That's nothing. And we see other people's gifts and they're so impressive. But other people are looking at us the same way, right? They're just like, wow, they're so compassionate or wow, they're so, right? So just have that conversation with each other. But the good news is here, you've been chosen. There's a role for you on the team. You've got a jersey. God's thought about you. He's gifted you. But it still gets better because here's the other reality of you is that you can, this is potential, you can be empowered by God. Meaning God wants to pour out his power, his love as he's working in this world. He wants to use you. He wants to empower you. And there's nothing like, I promise you, there's nothing like realizing I'm, it's not just me doing something. God is empowering me to do something that is over my pay grade. And it's like the coolest thing ever. Peter talks about that in the next verse. He says, if anyone speaks, like, let's say that's your thing. They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Now, what that can sound like, the way uh, that's translated, is that he's talking about preaching the Bible, which is a good thing to do when you speak, you know, teach out of the Bible, because that's God's revelation. That's a great thing. But I don't think that's what the passage is talking about. Uh, It could be better worded, a little bit more clear. He's saying, look, when you speak, speak as if God is the one speaking. And I pray that every time I speak. God, you speak through me today. Yes, I've prepared, I've done all that, but God speak through me today. Um, Same thing, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. When you serve, whatever it is you're doing, as you're serving in your gift, whatever you're doing, do so with the strength of God, meaning empowered by God. Meaning you and I, the good news is you and I are on our own because it can be a little scary to step out in faith and begin to serve. Like to say, okay, I guess I'll do that. I'll, I mean, it's a stretch. Like to say, okay, I'll, I'll start serving in student ministry. Or I'll start serving on first impressions. Or making these worship services happen on a production team. Or, okay, I'll step out and lead a group. Or teach something. or what. That's scary, right? Because, you know, okay, yeah, you, you can do your thing and the best you can. But what if it doesn't work and it's just easier not to? But on the other side of our choice to step forward and begin to serve on the team, it's God's empowerment. God is waiting to empower us. He's he's like waiting for us to jump off into his arms, so to speak, and say, come on, you can do this. I'm here to empower you. I will use you. You're not on your own. I'm going to pour out my power and love through you. It's going to be really cool, but you got to step forward. I remember one of the first times I, I remember experiencing God's empowerment that way. I, it was, I was 12 years old. It's actually, this is my first sermon. Uh, the, first, uh, the first sermon I preached in a church was when I was 12 years old. Um, I was brand new to Jesus, and I uh, had just started teaching kids uh, smaller than me 
uh, in these backyard Bible clubs that, uh, that somebody recruited me to do. And my granddad knew about that. My granddad, my mom's dad, was a pastor of a Nazarene church in Georgetown, Kentucky. In fact, here he is. Uh, this is my granddad and me at that sermon. So this was uh, me as a 12-year-old and my granddad. Uh, that was right after my first sermon there at that pulpit uh, where my granddad is, uh, has his hand. And uh, so my granddad heard about that. And so he's like, Jeff, next time you come to Georgetown to visit, you're going to preach on a Sunday night. And so get ready. So I was like, okay. So I did the best I could. I didn't know how to get ready to preach, but I, I had a little outline, you know, and had illustrations. And everything. I was teaching out of the passage in the Old Testament where Moses um, uh, stri- strikes the rock because he's mad, uh, getting water and all that, and how he can't go into the promised land. So is that, if you, you may not know that story, but it's, it's there, promise you. And so um, that was my story. So, I, so here's how it went. So, so this is a church. You know, the church service starts. I'm going to speak. It's on a Sunday night. Uh, and this is one of those churches that, where they put the, these big throne-like chairs on the stage, and the pastors sit on the stage during the whole service. And I'm, I mean, I'm not making fun of that. Just it's one of the ways you can do it. And so I was there, and as a 12 year old, it re, these look like huge thrones to me, like these big chairs. And the problem with that is I'm on the stage and I forgot to go to the bathroom and I really had to go. And so Brother Rice was his name, was at the pulpit leading the songs. And yet this is a church with hymnals. So they're in the hymnals and he's this is kind of fun, actually, to do that. Um, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Um, but anyway, he was doing his thing and people were singing and, and my urge to go to the bathroom was not getting better over time. And I'm thinking, oh man, what am I going to do? And I didn't want to sneak off the stage because it's obvious when you're in one of those chairs. And so I decided, you know what, I'm, it, it'd be better for me to leave now than to go into my pants later. So I, I sneak off backstage. It's dark back there. I can't turn on lights because I can't find them. And it would be obvious anyway. And I felt like there was a bathroom back there somewhere. I wasn't positive. So I'm fumbling around trying to find a bathroom. I hope I found one because I did go somewhere. And I, I went and then I came back out onto the stage and when I did, my granddad, it had taken some time, my granddad was looking for me. Like he had already introduced me, looked back, I wasn't in the chair. So he was kind of wondering, did I bail or what? And so I run up onto the stage and my first words of my first sermon ever were, sorry, I had to go to the bathroom. That's how it started. I'm not sure it got much better from there, but I did the best I could. So I was, you know, talking about Moses and, you know, striking the rock and all that and not getting to go to the promised land, telling that story. And I had 30 minutes uh, of a sermon, like that's what was my time limit. And, uh, and I say everything I know about God and the Bible and Moses and eventually like missions and politics and sports and whatever else I could think of. And 11 minutes later, I'm done. And, uh, and so and people have been kind of clapping the whole time thinking, yeah, be like that again. But, you know, that's me. And so I, uh, um, but I, I, you know, stopped at 11 minutes, sat down and, uh, and did my thing. And I know that that was not, God is never going to put that sermon in the top 10 sermons of all time in heaven. Like, you know, it's not, I know that I'm sure it wasn't very great, but I also know that God used me. I mean, as a 12 year old kid, hardly know what I'm doing. In the early stages of figuring out gifting, just stepping forward, I sensed God speaking through me. I did. I mean, I, it wasn't perfect. It was clunky. 
But God was there and, and I could see it in the room. I could see God working in the room. I could sense God's empowerment in my life. In fact, I was talking about this with my mom who was there. Um, just this last week, I was talking with her about it and that I was going to share this story. And she said, Jeff, God did use you. In fact, he's still using that message in my life. I said, what do you mean? And she said, Jeff, you had a main point, And I remember it like here's your this was your main point with that story. God always offers us his first best, but our attitude determines what we receive. She said, Jeff, I've never forgotten that. And she said, ironically, uh, earlier today, I had a friend coming over and I had kind of a bad attitude about that. And I thought about your message when you were 12 years old and thought, God, I need you to help me change my attitude because I want what is best. I was like, wow, you know, and if God can do that through a goofy guy like me, he can use you too. in fact, he's ready to, and it's really cool. And the opportunity is there. I mean, it's like God's drafted you on the team. He's given you gifts and abilities. He's even ready to empower you. And it's got to be, you know, he's got to wonder like, well, why don't get out on the field? Like, come on, that's where the excitement is. Get out of the stands, get, get on the field. That's the potential. And if you do, You can share in God's glory. Peter goes on. And he says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When you and I begin to serve and use our gifts and allow ourselves to be empowered, God is glorified and we're part of this something bigger. And the something bigger is God's glory and power that's revealed and celebrated forever and ever. And it's those who've been on the field, those who participated, those who played are the ones who really share in the glory of what God is doing in the world. Those of us who've been like, yeah, you know, I gave myself to that. I did that. I mean, just same thing, like on a football team, like Keaton, uh, that, you know, the number, uh, you know, number 31, right, who uh, played safety for Alabama. He got to play. It's kind of cool. I mean, Alabama will cycle out of success. It's not going to be like this forever. But right now, you know, while he was playing, um, he played for two national championships. You know, he, I mean, he got two national championship games. And uh, had tried more, but <laughs> had two uh, that they got. And he was part of that celebration. And that will never be taken away from him. And he was part of a national championship team. He has two rings. It's really cool. But the truth is, that's tiny. Insignificant compared to the opportunity that God's given you. To be in the ultimate championship team. His team. As God is doing his work in the world and one day will culminate that. And those who are on the field are the ones who share in that glory. Here's what the way Paul said it in the New Testament. Looking back as an old guy who he knew he was about to be killed, executed by Nero. He's writing to Timothy and he says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Meaning I've just poured my life out for this. And the time of my death is near and I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I was on the field and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. When we stand before him and the championship is secured. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. God wants all of us to share in this, but it's your choice and mine. Either we're going to 
in light of eternity, long for his appearing. So I'm going to give everything for that moment, for that day. Because I promise you on that day when we see Jesus, we'll be grateful for every time we stepped out in the field. Right? I mean, you know, and we'll think about, man, I'm so glad I served. I'm so glad I was part of it. I was scary. I'm so glad I stepped out and I saw God use me and empower me and I get to be part of it. I mean, and that's available to you and me. But it's our choice, right? And so I want to, as a church, not just me, but we want to make that choice to get on the field as easy as possible. I mean, it's cool to be in the stands and to see what God's doing. It's cool to be on the bench, but that's not where the action is. And so what does it mean to begin to serve and and be part of this team that God has assembled? Um, And for those of you who are part of it, if, if you're here at Chase Oaks Church, I mean, what does it mean? And so when you came in... Uh, that's why you got these little sheets of paper, or these little cards. And go ahead and pull them out. Like I said last week, like humor me. I mean, like, act like you're pulling them out um, at least. And uh, um, if you filled one out last week, we did this to say, man, I really want to get in a group. And we got hundreds and hundreds of people who want to get in groups, which is really cool. And, um, and what will happen is this is for teams. Okay, now if you've already filled one out, then it counts already. Uh, so you don't have to fill it out again. Uh, but if you didn't and you would like to talk to someone about, man, I, I really want to find my way to serve or find my gifting or figure that out. That's what this is for this week. Or if you want to be in a group, that's great, too, because what's going to happen tomorrow night, Monday night, um, a pastor is going to call you. And if you're not there, they'll leave a message and you'll figure out how to get connected. But um, we did this last year. and It was so effective. We had hundreds of people connected that way because it's hard to know, like, how do, especially serving, like, well, where, how do I choose to serve and who would I even call? And I don't know all the levers to pull. And well, our pastors do. And so they're going to call and just talk to you and just you're not signing up for anything yet. You're just talking and saying, you know, I, yeah, I think maybe this would be a good thing to think about a group or a team or something. And they'll talk you through that and and they'll help make whatever connection um, needs to happen. They'll help make that happen. Some of you may be serving already and you want to talk to somebody because you're like, I'm not sure I'm in the right spot. Or I think God maybe is nudging me to a, a new place, a, a next step. And I just love to talk about that a little bit or whatever it is. Then that's great too. And that's what that's for. Um, we just want to make that really easy and really personable because there's a lot at stake. Like I said last week, um, I think these two weeks of getting in a group or getting in a team are defining moment kind of things. Because on the other side of this choice to either get in a group or be on a team, there's tremendous life change at stake. I mean, there's things that God wants to do in your life and there's things that God wants to do through your life that will or will not happen depending on am I going to step forward or not. And, you know, I don't think it's accidental that you're here today. Um, even if you're online and you're from some other state or some other country, this is a message God wanted you to hear. And wherever you are, God wants you to serve. And if you're part of another church and, you know, and even if you're here and all that, and, and you since God nudging you, you just didn't do it. You know, that's great for those of us who are chase Oakers. I don't think it's accidental that God has led us in this era in North Dallas To this church, I don't think that's accidental. I think it's on purpose. And there are things that God wants to do in your life and through your life. And that's why he's led you here. And there are things that will not happen in your life. There are things that will not happen in this community if you don't step forward. I mean, that's just the way it works. Because God uses people to do his stuff. And the good news is, 
The opportunity is there for you. Because remember, you're chosen. You're on the team if you want to be. You're chosen. Uh, You've been gifted. You can be empowered and you can share in his glory. It's all out there. And I encourage you to jump out on the field because that's where it's at. Let's bow our heads together. Father, thank you that you love to use people like us. And I do thank you for the people who are just really hotshot kind of people and are so gifted and we need them and I thank you for them. And then for the rest of us, God, thank you that you love to use people like us to do your greatest work. And and so, God, would you guide us in this as to how we can find our contribution that that you've created us, the, the destiny that you've created us to fulfill. Just help us be faithful. Help us take the steps that you're nudging us to take. In Jesus' name, amen.